foster care, an unparalleled journey. Where we like to talk about all things foster care and adoption related. If you'd like to engage with us, check us out on Facebook. You can find us on our Facebook page, Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey, or facebook.com slash seven time dad. That's the number seven time dad. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, maybe you have a story you'd like to be highlighted on our show, email us at fostercareuj at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like to support us, the best thing you could possibly do is to share our show with some of your friends and family, people you think might be interested. If you have a couple extra dollars you'd like to help us out, every little bit really counts. We do have a Patreon account. It's patreon.com slash fostercarenation. We promise to only use the money to buy more chlorine for that pool out there. Those kids won't stay out of it. And I don't think they're getting out often enough. And I'm kind of scared. So your help would be greatly appreciated. Now, on to the show. Hey there, Foster Care Nation. This week, we're going to bring you Dr. John DeGarmo. He has a PhD with a focus on foster care. He's also a speaker on TEDx at Georgia Tech. You can find his TED Talk online by just searching his name and TEDx, where he tells Sydney's story. He and his wife have fostered over 60 kids in their home. They looked around and saw there's many girls' homes out there, but not too many boys' homes. So they started their own boys' home called Never Too Late, where they help young men transition out of foster care into the real world, where they learn important skills like cooking, cleaning, they grow their own vegetables, they learn about food and nutrition, they also offer music therapy, art therapy, and animal therapy. They help to try and get these guys jobs so that they can learn the skills they need to be able to go out into public and make it. He also talks a lot about the online dangers for kids during this time of pandemic that we're in right now. But even if you're listening to this after the pandemic is over, there will be plenty of need for watching out for those online dangers. He also has 13 books out there that he's written that are available for you to look up. He offers webinars on his website. You can find him at Dr. John DeGarmo on his website or the Foster Care Institute or the Never Too Late website. Googling any of those will yield you plenty of results. At the end, we also talked about something that I think is very important with foster families, and that's learning how to make the marriage work. That's a piece that we all need to listen to and think about and take very seriously. We appreciate him being willing to share his wisdom with us and everybody else out there in Foster Care Nation. So sit back, strap in, and enjoy. Hi, and welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason. And Amanda. Today we have a guest with us, Dr. John DeGarmo. I found Dr. John on a Facebook group that I uh, had asked for permission to look for some people who are interested in recording their their stories. And he said, hey, I'd be interested in talking to you. So I did a quick bit of research and found out not only is he uh, a doctor of, uh, actually, I don't know what your doctorate is in before I say that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good, it's a a PhD with a focus on foster care. There you go. Okay. And, um, but he's also a TEDx speaker. And I went, hey this sounds like a guy who knows something. Ted doesn't typically throw you on the stage if they haven't vetted you out a little bit. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> so how are you doing today, Dr. John? I'm fabulous. How about yourself? Oh, we're doing pretty good. Pretty good. Well, we wanted to reach out to you and talk to you about your journey in foster care. It seems that your family has been through um, more than a couple kids. I think that would be fair to say. That's right. We've had over 60. Over 60. Wow. wow. How long have you guys been doing it? Well, we started in 2002, and it uh, really wasn't something that either of us planned on doing. Uh, it wasn't until really after the death of our first child 
um, and we moved back to America from Australia, where my wife is from, that we really began that foster parent journey. I was I was teaching in a rural school at the time, and I noticed a lot of kids in my classroom with lots of uh, lots of issues of attendance and behavior and academics, and and I noticed it was really stemming from the home environment. So, so my wife and I both decided that you know we'd lost our first child. We had three healthy ones at that point. How could we help more kids? What could we do to to help more? And that's led to gosh really devoting my entire life to all things foster care, adoption, child welfare. Well, first, I want to say I'm very sorry for the loss of your child. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. But, you know, God can work through many, many ways. And, uh, you know, I was filled with a lot of anger at that point, a lot of anger, a lot of grief, um, and a little bit of guilt. Um, but, you know, um, I was able to he- find healing, and uh, and I've been able to use that experience to to help other children. Well, we lost our oldest daughter as well. So I, we can kind of feel your pain there. So it's uh that's one of the right, things that I right. think really kind of pushed us in the direction of, of starting the podcast and starting to reach out to people is that through that loss, we really want to, um, we want to create some meaning out of that. Right. Right. So true. So true. What led you guys in that direction? And was it a, a question of faith or? No, my, my, my faith was pretty much shattered. Um, when the death of our first child, uh, it was, our child died of a condition called anencephaly or some pronounce it anencephaly condition where the brain or skull never truly forms. And my wife was in labor for 92 hours. Uh, and afterwards that 92 hours and afterwards, uh, I just pushed everything aside, um, uh, emotion wise and, and, and focused on my uh, immersed myself in my work because I was very, very angry. I thought here, how can this happen? I've, I've never taken drugs or alcohol or smoke. My wife had never done the same thing either. None of those yet. There are people who have uh, do all that and have healthy children. So I thought the irony was too great, too profound. So uh, I, I threw myself in my work and I didn't allow myself to grieve because you know what, this is 20 some years ago. And I thought men don't cry. I must be strong. Um, I must be strong for my wife. So, so I immersed myself in work and it wasn't until years later, we moved back to America from Australia. And uh, again, the pattern of these students coming to the classroom with, with issues. And um, I had allowed myself to, to, to grieve at that point, um, recognize that my grief was healthy. And I, we were able to channel all of that into caring for our first two children from boss care. And again, that's led to, you know, 12 books, uh, traveling the world now, working with foster care agencies, um, you know, really, again, dedicating my entire life to making the system better for all involved. But initially, I never planned on that. You know, I, I had those myths and misconceptions that people thought about foster care. I thought the kids are bad kids. I thought foster parents were weird people. Now, that part's true. we got to be a little bit weird to do what we do. It's not, not a normal lifestyle. It is a very different lifestyle that no one will truly appreciate unless they walk in those shoes. I agree. <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely a piece of that that's that's got a lot of truth in it. Most people do not see this as as a way forward to change their lives. And I think once you've done it, once you've experienced it, it you understand it. But it's difficult to to really spell that out for somebody who hasn't experienced it. Right, right. And I often hear from people, Dr. John, I couldn't do what you do. It would hurt too much to give the kids back. You've probably heard the same thing. Amen. And my, my, response is both, my response was, well, that's how it's supposed to be. That's exactly how it's supposed to be. These children need us to cry for them. They need us to have our hearts break for them because we might be the first person who's ever cried for these kids. We might be the first person who's ever loved them so much that our hearts break for them. So, you know, that's really a gift. We're giving them the gift of love to these children who may have never experienced it. A hundred percent. I think it's a Josh Ship quote where he says, um, 
every child is one caring adult away from a success story. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's the truth right there is that if you, if your heart would break for these kids, we need you. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. If your heart doesn't break for these kids, we may not so much need you to join because you're liable to be the one who does the, the, the next level of damage for them. Yeah. Sadly true. So I, now I heard your TEDx talk and you talked a lot about the, the daughter that you guys had who, uh, who stayed with you for quite a while. As I remember, I can't remember exactly how long off the top of my head. Close to two years. And that's, that's one of those stories that I think as we listen to it, it, I understand pieces of that. I understand pieces of that because we've had some of those kids who stayed long-term like that and then went back home. How does your family deal with that, that trauma into your own family when a kid goes home like that? Well, you know, my own kids, uh, have been my own children, my own biological children. Let me rephrase it. For, for us, there's no label. There's no label of biological or foster adopted. They're all, they're all members of the family. They're all our children. And we love them all. Should be. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but for the biological children, you know, it's, it's, it's all they've done. You know, as, as I said, we've been doing this since 2002. My oldest child was born in 97. Uh, so you can see that it's their norm. It's their norm. So to be sure, they've experienced, uh, you know, feelings of grief and loss themselves. Um, but, you know, hopefully they have, uh, it's made them a better person as well. And I think that has, I, I really believe it has. My kids are much more compassionate, much more understanding, much, uh, they recognize, um, they recognize uh, bullying much quicker and they're, and they're quick to step up to stop it. They have a heart to help others. Um, and they may never be foster parents, but I'm, I'm hoping that they'll live some type of life of service, of serving others in some fashion. But yeah, sure, we've, we've, uh, we've all experienced those feelings of grief and loss. You know, I remember a time we had 11 kids in the house at the same time, um, and then uh, a group of five of them left, and, and the rest of us were pretty, you know, even my kids, they were really shaken up by that. Um, but, you know, we, need, we, we allow ourselves, what many foster parents don't do, and, and I'm guilty of doing this as well, is that we, allow, we don't allow ourselves time to grieve. We say yes to that next placement because there's such a need. Um, but, you know, there have been times where my wife and I have said, you know what, we need to take a break. We need to take a step back and help our own children, you know, spend some more time with their own kids. Um, they need time to process this. They need time to experience the feelings of grief. They need to time to uh, have a little bit of time to themselves, if you will. Foster parenting, again, it's a hard thing for everybody involved. It absolutely is. As we mentioned before, you know, we lost our oldest daughter. That's, we're coming up on the five-year anniversary of that. And as, that, as we walked through that, that was one of the things that we had two kids with us at the time. And, and they stayed with us and actually eventually became adoptive kids in our family. And we said at that time. That was the bet. only reason we left our license open yeah. at that time. Yeah. But we said at that time it was probably best for us to go ahead and step back for a while. And we did. We stepped back for about four years because that's such a loss. Sure. And sure. taking us that, that much time to get to a place where we felt comfortable stepping back in. Right. So I really feel the wisdom of what you said about taking that time. To because if you don't, you can quickly suffer from what is known as secondary traumatic stress or compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue is very normal for foster parents, yet they don't, they don't know what it is and they don't recognize they may be going through it. I've, I've been through there many times. My wife certainly has, our own kids have. So you need to take that time off. There, there are those times when foster parents need to say no, they need to say no to that next placement because they need that time to, uh, to heal. And to to find um, to, f to find peace again. Uh, when when Sydney, the, the topic of our TED talk, left our home, we took a year off. I, I I totally understand that now. I don't know that I would have understood that at the beginning, though. 
Well, I mean, we, we understood enough to know that we weren't in a good place to give children the best that they needed. You know, children sure. don't come into care for no reason. Right. And that's one of the reasons why I tell people, foster parents, uh, when, I, I, when, I, when I work with foster parents across country and across the globe, I often tell them, hey, there are times you've got to say no, because you might not be at that time the best resource, the best family, the best placement for that child, because you might be going, undergoing your own burnout, your own stress, your own compassion fatigue. You might not, your own kids might be struggling. Your own marriage might be under a little bit of stress. So again, there are those times you got to say no. But we also need to find comfort in the fact that, okay, we say no to this child. There's another child out there waiting. Another child's going to come. And, and so we need to take time off. For us. If we don't care for ourselves, then we can't care for the children who need us the most. I've often heard that put as it's hard to, to pour out of your cup into someone else's when yours is empty. Right, right. But, I'll, you know, I'll be honest. It is hard to say no to a child who's in care. You know, I, I've had those phone calls come and my wife and I have, I think we've said no twice. So I'm a little guilty of, of, of not practicing all that I preach. What made foster care really something that, that you felt was so important for you to do, you and your family? Was that something that was your idea to begin with, your wife's idea? Was it a joint decision? Well, sure. Thanks for asking. So I, I had a student in my classroom at the time um, back in, uh, gosh, was it 2001 maybe? And uh, she was pregnant with triplets and I recognized her home environment was not one that was positive at all. And I saw a very, very bleak possible future for these children. So I went to my wife and said, Hey, you know, we lost our first child. What if I brought home these triplets? And my wife said to me, as long as you do the diapers, I tell you what, I, I wished I had listened to her at some point because she does hair. I do diapers and I went through 20 years, no exaggeration or 20 years without a break where I, I had at least one baby in diapers in my house. <laughs> oh man, I imagine you probably have some ninja skills with diapers. Uh, we at one point we had seven kids in diapers at the house at the same time. Wow! Is wow. It, try and imagine trying to get ready for work when you got seven in diapers. You know, you don't always go to work clean. Is there a time of day you're not changing diapers? Uh, I remember at Christmas we had that seven in diapers on Christmas Day, and we called it the very smelly Christmas. It was about every twenty minutes, you know, explosion. <laughs> it was, uh, you know. It's an adventure, to be sure. I always, I always tell myself, this is character building. I got to remember, this is character building here. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Yeah, and, and you know, you talked about your kids having the opportunity to become kinder kids because they've seen this. And you know, we recently interviewed a lady that we we've, we've known for quite a few years, uh, and, and she grew up. Let's see, she was actually in her aunt's house, if I remember correctly. But her aunt became a foster parent. She grew up in that home, and she was kind of she was a little bit older when, when they started. And so until she was in her early twenties, she was helping raise foster kids in her aunt's house. And I'll tell you what, some of the lessons that she brought out of that have been so very valuable and created a woman who is absolutely kind and caring and all about community building and helping others. And it's amazing. Those lessons you can teach to kids at a very young age through that modeling. Absolutely. Absolutely. My kids have seen, uh, a side of life that most kids their own age have never seen and may never see. Uh, my children recognize um, my rec my children recognize uh, the realities that so many kids face that most don't see. You know, five million children are are victims of domestic violence in their own home. Most of us don't want to talk about that. My kids recognize it very clearly. You know, we have three hundred thousand kids who are victims of child sex trafficking every year in America. Most don't want to talk about it. My kids very much recognize these truths. So again. 
they are more compassionate towards others and quick to help, quick to lend a helping hand. That's an amazing outcome that I imagine was probably a, one of those happy accidents. You, you probably didn't go into it with that as an intention. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, you know, I, when I started this journey, I recognized 20 minutes into my first placement that, oh my gosh, I'm not ready for this. I'm not, that's why I wrote the book, The Foster Parenting Manual, because I recognized I'm not ready for this. Uh, they didn't teach me this stuff. Um, but when we, that first, that first placement, I didn't, I never expected the path it would take me on. Never, never intended that. I understand that statement. <laughs> I feel that one in my bones. We always think we know where we're headed and God always has a different plan. He does. He does. And this has been the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Hardest thing, but the most rewarding thing. And there have been moments. Let me tell you, there have been moments, there have been days where I've thought, I can't do this. I'm exhausted. I'm worn out. I'm burned out. I'm frustrated with the system. I'm frustrated with the accusations. I'm frustrated with the lack of time uh, to myself and with my wife. Um, I'm just tired. Uh, But at the same time, you know, it's hard to say no. And every child's maybe a better person in some way. So grateful for every placement. What keeps you going when you want to say no or when you're so tired? Um, Sydney's story, my TED Talk. Um, I can't let it happen again. I cannot let it happen again. This is what drives me every day. You know, I wake up in the morning thinking, okay, what do I need to do today? And I go to bed often and I thinking I didn't do enough. Um, and there's, and I have a lot of guilt about that. I have not done enough. There's so many children right now who are suffering. Um, and the system is one that does not work because it's run by man. So, it, you know, it's, it doesn't work properly. And, and, and uh, right now, as, as, as we speak, the three of us speak, there's a, there's a child right now who is saying, please help me. Please help me. Probably you, within a few miles of each of us there is. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Can you tell our listeners a, just a little bit about Sydney's story? Well, sure, sure. Uh, so she came to us um, – my wife was actually in Australia at the time, and she came to us just for the weekend. I was told, you know, we, we've heard that uh, before. Oh, yeah. um, and a very, she was seven years old and um, came from a horrific environment. Um, and the first thing she said to me was, "Hi, Daddy, I love you." And I thought, "Ooh, this is not good. This is this is not a good sign here." And she was, she had some challenges. She couldn't read or write her own name. She was seven years of age at the time. Um, huge education problems, huge discipline problems, eating disorders, uh, you name it, everything. Um, but she was family and we loved her and, and she was with us for almost two years and, you know, we were hoping to adopt her. And then a couple days before uh, Christmas, we got a phone call saying that she would be going to live with an aunt uncle 24 hours later in a state that she, in, in a, in, in another state, a neighboring state to a family she's never met. And boy, I tried to fight that. Um, I said, not before Christmas, you know, you must, must wait a couple of days late, wait, wait till after Christmas, no family, no child needs to wake up Christmas morning with strangers. Can you imagine waking up Christmas morning with strangers? I said, let her wake up the only family she's known. And, and they said, no. And, um, had a lot of, had a hard time with that. And then, and then five years later, I was actually packing to go to Australia with my wife to meet my mother-in-law on the side of the world. You know, when, when you do that. It's, it's not a quick weekend trip. It's, you know, you're gone for a couple of weeks at a time. Um, so uh, I was actually pretty much walking out the door and I pick up the phone and, and uh, a voice I'd not heard in five years said, Daddy, I want to come home. I said, where are you, Sydney? Is this you? Where are you? Where are you? Um, and um, lo and behold, the uh, family she'd been living with, her aunt and uncle, uh, there'd been a lot of a sexual abuse, a lot of rape, uh, and, then, and, then, um, and then they abandoned her in a different state. 
and at a state park. And uh, the only thing she had with her was a picture of our family with our names on it and phone numbers in the back, which I give to all the kids. And um, she'd been bouncing around from home to home. And when I got back three weeks later from Australia, I couldn't find her. I want to take a quick moment to remind you to reach down and hit that subscribe button so that you get notified every Friday whenever we have new episodes drop. Also, if you're an iTunes user, be sure to leave us a rating and review. We'd appreciate it. Now back to the show. She had been placed somewhere again. So I spent the next four years looking for her and we eventually found her. And it was worse than I ever imagined. She was in a children's mental health hospital. No one wrote her. No one called her. No one, no one visited her cutting her wrists all the time. In her mind, we abandoned her on Christmas Day. In her mind, we didn't come get her when she asked for help. And, and uh, the systems failed her. Systems absolutely failed her. Um, and she's in a very, very bad spot right now in her life. But we can't bring her to her home because uh, I have three children that I've adopted who all have their own unique challenges, birth-related challenges, you know, because of all the drugs in their system. And uh, my wife and I recognized very quickly it would tr- tremendously disrupt the family, maybe even place some of our own kids in danger. So, um, you know, the, the, the TED Talk is on my website, the Foster Care Institute, it's right there. And I, I shared that story, my TED Talk, was that I wanted to bring awareness to, to foster parenting, foster care, the kids in the system, and how everybody has a part to play in helping these kids. One of the questions that I hear a lot of people say, you know, oh, I can never be a foster parent, and they kind of stop there, and instead of, but I could. And so, what would you say to the people who are saying, I could never do that? You know, what would your, but then you could answer be? So you may be right. Not everybody can be a foster parent, but everybody can help in some way. Everybody can help in some way. Uh, there's a, there's 500,000 kids approximately in the system, every community, you know, and I, and one of the things I do is I speak to faith-based organizations across the country and across the globe, you know, of all faiths. I tell them, this is your next mission field. You don't have to go to Honduras or Mexico, Nicaragua. I've done all that wonderful experience but there's a mission field in your own neighborhood your own communities whether you're creating your own clothes closets whether you are being a mentor a tutor whether you're providing school supplies for kids at the beginning of school or backpacks filled with hygiene items whether you're teaching kids important living skills and social skills before they age out those are just a few of the many ways that faith-based groups or individuals that matter can help kids in foster care in their own community Aging out is something that I know our local, uh, well, not even a local, but our state agency has been really paying attention to. And I'd like to hope that it's being looked at across the nation that way. The the struggles that come to kids who age out of the system. Uh, what, what would you suggest looking into as far as how to help those kids? You know, I just wrote an article about it this, uh, this past week. You can find it on my website. Uh, aging out is a... Uh, something that's misunderstood to be sure, 55% of those who age out of the system will drop out of school, no high school diploma. 65% will end up homeless. 75% will end up incarcerated at some point. And then for so many, the system just starts over again. Like for some of my own kids who are third generation foster care, grandparents and, grand- and parents and grandparents and as well. Many, we can help in many ways. As I touched earlier, we can help um, teach these kids important living skills and social skills. We can employ them. We can uh, mentor them in, in careers. We can help them with um, with gift cards. Um, we can um, we can if they should go to college. Only six percent do. We can we can provide books. We can help them with um, cooking supplies. Um, again, we can be mentors or tutors. I often encourage businesses to say, you know what, 
if you have a business, small business, I'd encourage you to hire a child who's aging out of the system or has aged out and teach them those important living skills and social skills. And we also need to help them before they age out as well. That's so important as well. Because if we have, you know, we help these kids, not only do we lower the, uh, the crime rate, homelessness rate, and bring up the education rate, but we also help stop the next generation from happening. And hopefully we help their birth parents as well heal. Because those birth parents, they may be looking at their child and saying, you know what, my child is, my child is succeeding. My child is thriving. My child is doing well. And maybe a part of their own pain, their own trauma, their own anxiety that was never resolved may heal as well. Yeah, that's where we can really make a difference in our world really with the compounded effect is right. being able to, to stop the next generation. And I know that, that that's something that we've seen in, in, with our own kids that we've adopted, you know, their second generation foster care. And we're looking at trying to teach them how to, how to break that cycle and where we can only handle so many. You know, I love the, the saying, you know, you can't save the whole world. I know, I know. But for that one kid, I can save their whole world. Not save it. That's the wrong right. way. Right. I can right. Change it. Their world has changed. I can't change the world and you can't change the world, but for that child we help, their world has changed. That's exactly right. And other than foster parenting, you know, a lot of those other things you mentioned are really incredibly helpful for a lot of these kids. And I, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, it seems like most people are not, are not stepping into that role. I'm not certain how to, how to introduce this idea to people in a way that, that they can feel that need other than, than having people like you and you know, your Ted talk really reaching out and getting a hold of their heartstrings. Uh, what do you think it is? What do you think we could do to change that? I'll tell you why it is because it's an uncomfortable truth that we don't want to recognize. We don't talk about human trafficking and so many kids from foster care flood into human trafficking. We don't talk about human trafficking, even though it happens in our own neighborhoods and communities, because again, it makes us feel uncomfortable. It's an ugly truth that we don't want to acknowledge. Not where I live. No, no, no. It's not happening here. It can't be happening here. Selling children for sex at age six, seven, eight, nine years of age. No, this is, this makes me, this is not, I don't want to talk about this. I'd rather talk about my sports, my entertainment, my, my disagreement with politicians, whatever it might be. Um, I call it America's ugly secret. Same thing with foster parenting. There's all those myths and misconceptions attached to the kids. We don't want to address it because it makes us feel uncomfortable. So we ignore it. And that one of the things I do is I just keep pressing forward. I'm trying to bring these things to light and saying, hey, this is happening where you live. This is happening in your own community. This might be even happening to some of your own kids you're related to. Or you work the kids who the employees you work alongside of, or you go to church with. So you, you might not be able to be a foster parent, but you can help these kids in some fashion. And if not you, then who? Amen. I don't know if you if you have much time to listen to podcasts. I drive a lot, and um, one of the podcasts I listen to is called "This Is Actually Happening." And one episode was called "What If You Had." Uh, dissociative identity disorder, I believe is the name of it. And the young lady tells her story and she tells the story exactly what you're talking about, having been sold for sex time and again throughout her early childhood to the point where she was severely affected by dissociative identity disorder. And we just don't want to talk about it because to listen to that podcast will hurt you. Sure. Sure. Right. Right. And when I speak at, you know, I do a lot of keynotes at fundraising events for a lot of nonprofits, across country. And when I tell these stories, I start off with a lot of laughter, but by the end, I have them all in tears 
And I'm not afraid to, to bring those heartstrings because I've, I firmly believe awareness equals advocacy. Once you become aware of these ugly truths, you can't help but want to help. Um, and if you don't want to help, that's saying something a lot about who you are as a person. So, you know, I try to bring awareness to this so we can get those advocates. Because I said earlier, not everybody can be a foster parent, but we can all help in some way. And we need to be aware of these issues so we can start making a difference where we live and stopping the cycle. You know, I love that. You can't unknow something. Right. I, I'll, I'll blame Dr. Dobson. If you remember Dr. James Dobson. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, he's, he's probably one of the, the, the primary influences that really pushed me into the idea of foster care and adoption. It was listening to him that when he brought some things to my awareness, that it was very difficult for me to be able to, to step back, not know what I knew now, and just pretend like it didn't exist. That didn't last for very long. Sure. I read his books 25 years ago, which makes me feel very old. <laughs> Starting parent kids. That must have been a first generation Kindle, right? Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm old enough to remember when paperback was all I could afford. <laughs> but yeah, no, his, his books have been a trove of knowledge for me, but that was something I heard him talking on this radio program. And to what you were saying earlier, that's that piece of once you know, you can't unknow it. You have to decide whether to act on it or not. Right, right. A number of my books touching those subjects, uh, Fostering Love and, and Love and Mayhem, my own personal memoirs, uh, Faith in Foster Care and the Church in Foster Care talk about those issues as well. And and I've been in, I've been told a few times, hey, do you really want to talk about these things? You bet. Absolutely. We need to talk about these things. We do. We need to bring it to light because people want to stick their heads in the sand. And as long as your head's in the sand, you're not going to do anything. You're not going to change anything. Very true. The beauty of it is, is all it takes though, is for you to become aware of the problem and then take a step. I don't care what it is. You don't have to become a foster parent. Take a step and see where it leads you. That's right. You know, I know you said you, you lost your faith at one point. I don't know how much of that you have gained back, but I'm kind of in a similar place myself. Well, if you my book, Faith in Foster Care, you'd say, yeah, he's probably, he's got it right back there. No good. I call it every day. You know, this is not something, uh, again, not something I initially set out and planned to do. Uh, but I think that God has equipped me with these uh, experiences and these opportunities and this knowledge and information to, to go forth and help others. Absolutely. You take that first step and you give God just enough for him to be able to to direct your path and regardless of what you think is right, you know, your plans are not his plans. Mm -hmm. Yours yours aren't going to win most of the time. Yes. You know, my wife and I never planned on opening up a home for, for boys in foster care. Uh, And that was a big uphill journey that I tried to ignore for quite a while. Um, but we finally said, okay, we'll follow that path. And there are those moments I thought, is this ever going to happen? Uh, but now it's rocking and rolling and, and uh, we couldn't have done it without the grace of God. And then people actually ask me a lot, how do you do this? 11 plus kids in your house, your wife and you both work full time. She's a doctor, a doctor of nutrition. You're traveling the country. How do you do it? And uh, I jokingly say heavy drugs, but in truth, <laughs> the, uh, in truth, it's, um, you know, the grace of God. Yeah. Uh, well, to that topic of boys home, the, the having the boys home that you guys run, how many kids do you have in, in there? We can stay up. We can have up to 16 kids at a time. Uh, these are boys between the ages of 16 and 21 is, is a transitional living program. So we help them to transition out of the foster care system um, into society. And we teach them such valuable skills as 
as a, you know, they had to prepare their own food, nutrition, a nutritious diet. They grow their own veggies. They had to prepare their own food based on a nutrition diet. They go shopping, of course. They had to learn how to cook and clean. Uh, they do their laundry. They uh, they all have musical instruments. In fact, I got a couple more guitars donated today for, for music therapy. We're building a chicken pen and a rabbit pen right now for some animal therapy. Um, they have jobs in the community. Uh, we believe in really healing the whole child before they go forth. And these are kids who have been, who, who this is their last stop. This is really is their last, we call it never too late, never too late. Um, and if, if it's not never too late, their next stop is going to be one that's uh, pretty frightening. And these boys have come from the worst environments, the worst experiences. And if you were to walk in the home, I imagine you say the same thing everybody else says, wow, this, this feels like a house. This feels like a home. <laughs> and that's what we tried to create. We tried to create an atmosphere of home, family, and of unconditional love. That's amazing. I can't imagine how difficult that is, especially with teen boys. Oh, yeah. Sure. Sure. And, and what many don't recognize is this. You know, so many people have said to me over the years, they must be so thankful to be in your home or never too late. And I tell them, you know what? It's the exact opposite. No child wants to be labeled a foster kid. No one wants to be in the foster care system. That's why they're eager to get out. So is there a reason why you guys chose young men instead of young women? Because there's many, there are many girl, homes for girls in our area, in our state, and there were very few for boys. Uh, and, you know, boys have that stigma of being harder and tougher. So no one really wants boys. You know, everybody wants a little girl, a little baby, if you will, a baby. or um, uh, And there were just not enough environments, not enough homes for these boys in our state, in our area. And this is, this is a guy coming with five daughters and one son, so. <laughs> you needed more more male influences in your life. I right? suppose so. Yeah. <laughs> Balance the estrogen equation. Uh, so, how long have you guys been running the boys' home? Uh, let's see. It has been open for about two years now. Two years. Any idea how many how many kids you've you managed to successfully age through the system? You no, know, I don't have that statistic on me. Um, uh, quite a bit. What I've loved to see, though, is the community has come together. Our, we, I live in a small town, about 3,000 people, and our community has embraced it. They really embraced it. We had people dropping up stuff all the time. Uh, we had a couple of days ago, tomato cages for the, for the, for the, um, the beds. Um, guitars today, uh, people are always dropping off laundry and, uh, it's not laundry, um, and don't do the dry cleaning there. Uh, you know, laundry <laughs> detergent, um, you know, rocking chairs, the whole bit. It, it's, because my message has been in, in our community and throughout the state is, hey, you might not be able to care for these kids in your own home, but when you partner with Never Too Late, you're changing the world for these kids. You're lowering the statistics. You're helping a child in your own area. Is there any specific needs that you guys have as far as like people to, for donations and things like that? Well, you know, a nonprofit is a nonprofit, so we're always, fundraising is always uh, an, ongoing, an ongoing issue. That's why I uh, happen to speak at fundraising events across the country because I recognize that need. Uh, you know, right now we're trying to hopefully get a chicken coop donated for free instead of having to go and pay for one. My, my vision is for the boys to go out there and get collect their own eggs um, and learn about, you know, the responsibility of, of caring for the chickens and seeing the process of chick to egg and egg to chick. Um, and we're also hoping to help have a, another rabbit cage too, to um, throw rabbit rabbit manure for fertilizer for the garden beds and this simple act of just petting a rabbit it's 
very healing, very therapeutic. A rabbit can't talk back to you. A rabbit just listens and cuddles. And that's, you know, for a child who's been in, in, suffered so much trauma and anxiety, that's very healing. You know, we have interviewed two people now, I think, who are involved in equine therapy. Yes, we'll right. Speak to the importance of, of understanding what it is to be a, a, a not a predator, um, to a prey animal. I had it on the back the wrong way there. Yeah, but they, they speak to the importance of, of that connection with another prey animal because horses are known, you know, are predators. Not, gosh, dang it, my voice is leaving me today. Horses are, are prey animals. And so they, young kids who've been through trauma can really connect well with, with horses who are by themselves natural prey animals. And they're also herd animals. And you learn to communicate within that herd in all those nonverbal ways. And it's, right. it's amazing how well that works. Right, right, right. I'm a big fan of that type of therapy. Uh, I don't know if you, um, have you ever heard of stable moments? No, I'm not. But I've, I've worked with a number of uh, equine therapy programs across the uh, country. Not familiar with that one in particular, though. Okay, I, th- I think stable moments is, it, it's a, a, Rebecca Britt is the one who, who originally had a, a single program she was running and she started to to push that model out and, and train other people how to run those sort, same sorts of programs so you know it definitely makes sense that having the the prey animals that the kids can connect with is a piece of therapy whether it seems to the average person who doesn't know anything about it, it seems kind of simplistic maybe unhelpful but the the value is there no oh, absolutely absolutely i'm a big proponent of animal therapy of, of music therapy of art therapy, of play therapy, and we use all those models at Never Too Late, and for our own home as well. Wow, yeah, that's, uh, do you have a, uh, do you have a website where people could go out and, and look and, you know, see what you're doing and maybe be able to give and help out with your, your program? Sure, for Never Too Late, it's simple that, just type in Never Too Late Foster Care. As for myself, it's Dr. John DeGarmo, foster care expert, or the foster care institute and the director and founder of the foster care institute so um both websites will have a lot of information whether you want to help the boys at never too late or find out more about foster parenting adoption and child welfare human trafficking at the foster care institute all right yeah we'll make sure we get those linked up in the show notes so that people can find that because what you're doing is really important because most of us as foster parents we come in with a a vision to help a kid and it sounds to me that that you are not the guy who just wants to help a kid. You've, you've created a lifestyle out of helping as many kids as you possibly can through whatever avenues you can. Well, that's, that's the hope. Um, it is a lifestyle that, uh, again, I'm driven every day, um, de- dedicated my life to it. Uh, and, uh, just not going to stop until there's no child being abused. And I don't see an end to that. I'm afraid. I was going to ask if you saw that in because no, no. unfortunately, I think no, we're, see, we're seeing more of it. You know, COVID-19, we're seeing during time of shelter in place, we've seen a rise of child abuse. Um, during COVID-19, we've seen a rise of child predators targeting kids online. Um, you know, child abuse goes up in our nation. Human trafficking is in the rise in our nation. You know, Pre-COVID-19, opiate epidemic, of course, is placing more kids in the foster care system. Uh, as more and more families become fragment, fragmented, as more and more families um, uh, don't have any faith, faith of their own of any fashion or kind, as more and more families become uh, you know, sing, single parenthood. You know, the traditional family model is, is 
is broken. Um, and we're seeing more children um, being abused, being abandoned, being neglected, uh, parents focusing on their own selves, their own work. Um, and I don't see any end to it, sadly. No, I think these problems have been in place since long before, uh, right. long before our time. Right. And I, you know, my, my dad was a police officer. I grew up with that. And, you know, he, he didn't tell a lot of those stories to the kids, you know, as we were young, but the walls were thinner than they thought they were. And, you know, we heard a lot of stories and we knew that and I grew up knowing that the world was kind of a dangerous, scary place with a lot of bad people. And I, I don't know that everybody in the world has that, that real knowledge deep in their soul that people like you and I have, have come to find that, man, there's bad stuff out there. And, and just being able to reach out and do the little bit of good that you feel like you can do, you never know when you might end up running a boy's home with, you know, a dozen or more kids in it. That's right. It is a bad world um, out there for, if we're not, if not prepared for it. Um, and some of these kids go online and, and they're easy targets, easy prey. They're very, very vulnerable. And um, they're victimized very easily online. And, and most of us have no knowledge of that happening either. Yeah. Are you familiar with, um, there's an app called bark.us. Yes. And, okay. I, I talked with uh, one of the representatives from Bark a while back and, and she told some of the stories that, that they've dealt with. And it's amazing just how much access you can gain to a kid through just, just simple social media. Absolutely. 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 I wrote a book called Keeping Foster Children Safe Online. I think it's the most relevant issue facing foster care today, and that is social media and online technology. Because these kids who have been victimized, who have been abused, who are suffering anxiety, they're going online looking for someone to love them. And that's where the predators are waiting for them in so many different venues, so many different avenues to snare them in. Yeah. You know, you said something a handful of times here. Um, so I have to ask, how many books have you written? 13? 13. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. That, unfortunately, with the life I live, I don't have much time to to read a whole lot of books these days. But um, I, I assume some of them may be on Audible by now? Yes, I think. I think so. I think some of the, you know, I'm working with seven different traditional publishing companies. So I don't, I, it's hard for me to remember which, which each one does what. <laughs> um, but I imagine so. Yeah, I believe so. I believe so. So for the people out there who would like to hear more of what, what you have to say, you know, definitely go find the books. But if you're like me and you have, you know, more than a half a dozen kids running around your house on a day to day basis and, and you have a 60 hour plus a week job and all the other things that come with life and you don't have enough time to sit down and read a book until it's time to go to sleep. Audible is a great thing. You can reach right out there and get all that same information as you drive the kids to school or drive yourself to work or probably not driving yourself to work too much in this pandemic for most people. Uh, most are not. That's right. That's right. I'm one of the few people. My wife and I are both considered essential workers. And so we've been, we've been going strong through all this, which has presented its own, its own group, you know, bag of tricks for us to deal with. So, you know, what have you seen as far as that besides maybe just some more increased time at home, creating some more trauma and maybe fewer, fewer people to report it. Have you, have you seen much of effects of this pandemic movement on the foster care system and foster kids in general? Oh yes, yes, yes. I, I host a, uh, I host a foster parent support time on Facebook every evening, seven to seven thirty Eastern time. And I'm hearing from hundreds of foster parents every night 
who are saying, I need help. I need help. These kids are not getting their, um, they're not getting their professional therapy and counseling sessions they need. They're not getting the, uh, their support and special resources in school that they need. They're not getting the visitations with their family members in person they need. They're not, for some of them, they're not getting the drug counseling sessions. And as a result, their anxiety levels are going through the roof. Going through the to the to the walls, and foster parents aren't equipped to handle all those things. They're not trained to be a teacher, let alone a a teacher for kids who have such special needs. They're not equipped to be the professional therapist or counselor. They're not equipped to handle um, online visitations in their home a couple times a week. Foster parents are really stressed out. They're not getting the resources and support they need, and agencies are saying, Dr. John, we need help. We, that's what I'm hearing daily. We need help, Dr. John, help us, get the, help, us help our foster parents uh, because they can't go forth and out into the world and help their foster parents either um, because of the shelter in place. And then we're seeing uh, the spike, as I mentioned earlier, the spike of child abuse happening in the home. Some of people say, but, you know, they're being, it's, it, the reports are saying they're not getting as many reports of child abuse. That's, that's true. They're not getting many reports. Because the kids are not in school. They're not in school with their teacher. They're not in school with their coach, their, their counselor. Uh, they're not seeing those mandated reporters who have to report it. So as a result, these, these cases are not being reported. But in fact, they're going up because more and more parents are feeling the stress, the anxiety of, will I keep my job? How I pay my bills? Will I have food on the table? Um, and for some of them, they're lashing out physically in these kids. And then you have those people who just generally abuse their kids, you know, Every year, anyways, as I mentioned earlier, five million children witness or experience domestic violence in their own home. That's normal time. Now the added anxiety and everybody's facing it's going up. That's a terrifying number. It is. It is a terrifying number, but it's a number that we have to confront and recognize. Yeah, and I'm not certain how we how we reach out to those parents in those moments of stress and and give them those skills to to be able to deal with that anxiety so that your, your interactions with your kids can be positive as opposed to ending up in, in either having an abused child or ending up with your kid in foster care. Cause I think that's probably one of the key elements. I'm just not really certain what we can do to reach out to those people. Or worse, you know, suicide is, is going up as well. And, and kids in foster care, um, you know, have been uh, vulnerable to suicide because again, they go online looking for help and there are those, there are those pro suicide sites online as well um, that encourage you and show you how to have suicide, how to do suicide. Um, you know, but it really starts in the home. You know, you, if you want to bring down the number of foster care, you've got to start before their place in foster care. You've got to get those parents, the support, the counseling they need. So many parents of kids in foster care, have suffered some some themselves. As you said, you have a couple that are um, second generation. For me, it's third generation, which means the system failed them in some way. They never got the the profession, the help they needed. They never able to find the um, the the resources and counseling and therapy they needed, and they're still suffering in some way from the anxieties uh, that 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 overwhelm them each day. So they can't be healthy parents to the kids because they never got the help when they were a child. How true, how true. I don't guess we're going to solve all the world's problems today, but we can just reach out into the world and solve the problems that are near us, right? That's so true. And that's what we're doing. And I, I see that's what you guys are doing out there too, and that, that's pretty amazing. I, I do want to kind of reach back to a to a, something we talked about earlier with you and your wife. Um, 
having this many kids go through your home, having this many difficult moments, I mean, really traumas that you guys experience with the loss of kids and coming and going on all the pieces of it. I just have to ask, how do you and your wife keep your marriage strong to walk through that? A few ways. Faith to begin with. Uh, Prayer to begin with. We both pray for each other. We pray together. Um, We both recognize that this is a 50-50 relationship. Um, We both recognize we both have strengths. You know, she's stronger at some things than I am and and, and vice versa. Um, We both recognize that we have to um, give each other a break once in a while. You know, for Valentine's Day, I often send my wife away for for a spa for that weekend where she can pamper herself. And I've heard so many times every year, aren't you going? Say no. She needs a break from me too. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, yeah, we, we recognize all these things. So, so we really work together. We're patient. Does that mean it's tough? Oh, it's absolutely tough. Yeah. Marriage is tough to begin with. And then you have a marriage that is... Uh, like ours, where one person is always going to be a half a world away. My wife's from Australia, from her family, and that's all that's normal to her. Because my wife lives in a very, very foreign country. The United States of America is a very foreign country to her. She often wonders, why do you do this? Um, and then you bring kids in your home who have such anxiety levels. And any, you know, So foster parenting and marriage is often tough. One of my more popular or watched uh, webinars of the foster parents do, we have over 50 hours of online training webinars. And one of the more popular ones is marriage and foster parenting, making it work. Um, and that's a delicate balance. How do you care for kids in your own home um, who are suffering from anxiety, who need you all the time, how do you care for yourself and how do you care for your marriage? How do you have time for your marriage when you're being all your attention is being diverted towards these kids who are screaming out, I need help. I need help in some way. Absolutely. That's, that's a huge struggle because those kids who are reaching out screaming, I need help. I need help. I need help now. And we're not talking about, I need help tying my shoes. Right. You know, these are anxiety levels, as you mentioned, that, that can go so far as to, to involve cutting and suicide. Right. Right. Screaming and yelling, punching holes in wall, objects flying through the air. Sure, sure. And it's exhausting. Foster parenting, as I said earlier, it's the most rewarding thing I've done, but it's the most exhausting thing I've done. It's exhausting. So at the end of the day, it's hard to give of yourself in your marriage when you're just completely depleted. So that webinar earlier talked about foster care, marriage and foster parenting making it work. We talk a lot about uh, strategies to strengthen your own marriage, your own relationship. Um, and my wife and I, we try to do all those things. Um, yeah, it's a great question. I appreciate you asking. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because if you made a marriage work that long, going through that much struggle and that much stress, I'm not certain there's a whole lot that could come against it at that point. Not at this point. How long have you been married? 26 lovely, glorious years. 26 lovely, glorious years. Wow. Yeah, we just hit 20 in our home. So, and we hope to try and catch up to that number and beyond eventually, hopefully, if she doesn't kill me first. Funny story. We had, uh, we had kids in our house nonstop for five years, uh, a placement five years. When a child would leave the same day, the next day a child would come to our house. Um, and so we never really had a date night for, for five years. And I often talk about the importance of having a date night at least once a month. You know, again, I don't always practice what I preach. Um, I talk about these issues all across the country, and I, I train foster parents on it. But when I come home, 
don't always do it. So, so we uh, last in 2019 we had um, a break. So my wife and I went to Disney World for five days, and and people said, "Are you not bringing your kids with you?" No. Do you feel guilty about that? No. <laughs> your kids were probably happy to have a break from you for a moment too. We didn't tell them where we were going. <laughs> <laughs> that might have saved you some headaches as well. Right. Yeah, that, that's that's a, interesting. You know, we I mean, I'm part of a dad's group online on Facebook, um, the the Dad Edge Alliance, and there is so much in there that we talk about that involves being intentional about dating your wife. Yes, right. And the power of that, and and finding a way to always be chasing her and helping to build that relationship so that you can intentionally or you can eventually be an amazing husband and father at the same time. But if you don't take care of that one, if you let the the, the marriage kind of deteriorate, you're not going to be much of a father. That's so true. And that's why it's important you take care of your marriage while you're foster parenting, because when the kids eventually leave with your biological children or the kids in foster care, you know, you're, you're, you're with your spouse. And if you've not, if you've not uh, taken care of that relationship, there's going to be nothing left. You, you don't want to be married to a, look across the table after all the kids have left and you've done foster parenting and looking at a stranger. It's the last thing you want. That was one of the things my wife and I became pretty intentional about pretty early on is that, you know, our goal is to send the kids out of the house eventually. <laughs> and it's going to be just us at some point. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully not, you know, forever from now, but at some point it's going to be the two of us in the house together. And if you don't have that, that cherished relationship there, if you haven't taken the time to build that through the hard times, you're not going to have what you've been, what you've really been wanting all along. So very true. So very true. So yeah, that that's great advice for, for couples. Well, did you have anything else you wanted to throw to, to in there before we get to the, to our, our ending point here? No, I just, just uh, what I mentioned earlier that not, not everybody can be a foster parent, but everybody can help in some way. There's a child right now where you live in your community, maybe even related to you some, in some fashion, that needs help, that is being abused, that is being neglected, that, um, that someone's trying to cover that up so that you don't recognize it, but it's there. And we each have a part to play. We can each help a child in crisis in some way if we want to open up our eyes and open up our heart enough to do that. We need to take off the blinders and recognize this is happening all around us. The worst than we can imagine. As, as you and I talk, there's children out there near us who are, who are crying out, maybe even praying, someone please help me. So we, you know, so that, that message is so strong, yet so few, under, few hear it. I can't disagree with the word of that. I've met a number of those kids over the years as adults after the fact, and I've met several of those in the young ages, and we've, we've brought a few of them kind of under our, our mentorship here, just local kids from time to time, and it's amazing the amount of ability God gives you to speak into the life of a child even though it may just be one day for an hour. Amen. So, well, I love everything you're doing, Dr. John. I really appreciate you coming on here to talk to people. Um, I, I'm going to make sure we link up all of your stuff in the show notes so people can find you and find the webinars and the books and a wealth of knowledge that you have gained over the last 20 some odd years, you said, so that you can share that with us because what use is it to have to learn all that if no one else gets the opportunity to learn it from you? No, thank you for the opportunity. I'm very grateful. All right. Well, it's great to speak with you. We'll talk to you soon. Very good. Thank you so much. 
Hopefully you guys were able to pull some wisdom out of that conversation. Dr. John had a whole lot to share with us, so be sure and go out and check out his information online. While you're out there, look up fostercarenation.com. You can check out the blog articles, you can listen to other episodes, and if you're interested in telling your story, reach out to us. There's a link on the page, or just email us at fostercareuj at gmail.com. Again, our Patreon account is at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. And as always...